Grace, mercy, and peace be to you, God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message is the gospel lesson read earlier, but the lesson that focuses on the fear of what Jesus tells us about the rich fool. Well, Sven and Lena had only over for dinner, and after they finished supper, Lena announced, Well, I have two pieces of lumbering pie left. And Sven goes, Okay, I'll go get them. And so he goes to the kitchen, he grabs two pieces, they're on each separate plate but one significantly larger than the other. So he takes the smaller piece and he sets it in front of Foley, and he takes the larger piece and sets it in front of himself. And Foley just kind of looks at him, says, that's not very gracious. And so Sven says, well, what? What's wrong? What would you have done? And then Foley goes, well, it was me. I would have taken the smaller piece and given you the larger piece. And so Sven says, so what are you complaining for? That's what I did. <laughs> we, we always want the bigger piece. We, we always want more. And isn't that really a definition of greed? That, 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 that greed is just something that's, that's universal. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes we don't even realize it. Uh, today we're here, Jesus telling this parable about the rich fool. It's clearly a parable about greed. But it's a parable about more than that. You'll notice if you listen carefully that that Jesus, when he speaks the parable, speaks it to the crowd, not just to the man who, who raises the question. And, and what we see here is that this parable is speaking to the man in response to the question that he raises. But that he's also speaking it to all of his followers. And what he's really addressing is a dispute. Because that's the cause, that's the context, that's the occasion for this parable. So not only does he speak about greed, but he speaks about what greed does what sin does and how it affects us and the excuse that we have. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go back over the parable, go over the full lesson, and look at the context and see how Jesus is addressing this dispute that this man has and the disputes that we might have, even in our own life. So we'll go back to the beginning of the gospel lesson. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, my tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So a man comes to Jesus asking Jesus to settle a dispute. What we know about the dispute is between a man and his brother, right? And it seems like his brother is dragging his feet and giving out the inheritance. I mean, I don't know who really is in the right. Is this man or his brother? The text doesn't really tell us. But he does come to Jesus. But notice it's also something subtle going on here. He's not coming here for Jesus to make a decision, to make a settlement so much as He's already wanting Jesus to know what he wants Jesus to do. He doesn't say, just decide between me and my brother. He says, tell my brother to buy the hands. He has a dispute. He wants Jesus to decide with him. Now, as we look at this dispute, I want you to think for a moment. Do you have any disputes in your life? Have any disputes arisen in your life? Wouldn't it be nice to have those disputes settled and figured out? Because unfortunately through life, as we live with people, there's going to be disagreements, right? There's going to be divisions, there's going to be disputes. It happens within families, it happens in the workplace, it happens in school, it happens in the community. It certainly happens in a country. There are lots of different divisions and disputes that go on. Wouldn't it be nice to have these settled? And we like the man in the parable, or in the gospel lesson. You go to the Lord to ask him to settle those disputes, do you not? How often in your life do you pray for Peace within your family, peace within your community, peace within your country. Isn't that not a request to settle the disputes? To bring a conclusion, to bring a 
man, don't we always kind of have it in our back of our mind, the best way to settle this view? If you just change, if you just change the heart and minds of those other people, everything would be okay. We could be at peace. Because we know where the problem lies, don't we? It isn't that other person over there. If they disagree with us, then, then everything would be right. We want the one that's new, this new settled in our favor. But then Jesus responds. But Jesus said to the man, Man, who made me a judge and arbiter over you? Notice, Jesus is making very clear. I didn't come to settle families' views and families' lives. I didn't come to be an arbiter or judge in this way. That's true for us too. He didn't come to be the arbiter or the judge, the son of the But Jesus has something to say about this. He does stop there. It's not like he just says this and then stops. I didn't come to make the judge or swap. Well, he has something to say. So he has something to say about this man's dispute with his brother. And as I said in this introduction, what we're going to see is he speaks to the group, not just to the man. So he's got something to say about all of our so then, he said to them, you notice the crowd, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus does have something to say about this dispute, but it isn't what the man had hoped for or wanted. Even mine, the man came to him and said, tell my brother to divide my errands. Go to my brother and speak to him and solve his problem. Jesus turns back to the man on your guard, brother. Isn't Jesus putting a challenge before the man? He wants this man to examine his own heart, his own symptoms, the things that are going on there. The man has already demonstrated that his desire for his inheritance takes precedence over the love that he has for his brother. Has Jesus is calling on the man to make a thorough examination of his heart. His words apply to us. We want to think that when there's a dispute, the problem's with the other person, right? And we see their problem a mile away. That's what we want to see. And, and again, there might be a problem with the other person. But should we take the Lord's words to heart and look and examine our own heart? Because our heart is not always pure. We're reminded by that scripture. Scripture speaks about the heart time and time again. Think back to the epistle today. Paul speaks about things that are going to be in the heart. Evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, anger, all those things. And if those things can be in the human heart, can they not be in our Can we not be also the ones who are causing it is we who are the problem. We want a resolution doesn't begin with examining our heart first. See, to illustrate the problem with covetousness, to illustrate the problem with sin, Jesus now tells a parable. I'm going to read the parable again, but this time I want you to listen to it, thinking about the context. Keep in mind that Jesus is speaking this parable to a man who has a dispute with Think of the fact that he's speaking this parable to everyone who has any dispute with his brother or sister or anyone. 
said, I will do this. I will tear down my rocks and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store up grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the thing that you have prepared, whose will it be? What jumps out at you as you hear or read that parable? Isn't the self-focus? I mean, how many times do we have that first-person pronoun, right? I, me, my, over, over again. Where in this man's thinking are his friends? Where is his family? Where is God? Who does he turn to to ask for advice? Who does he turn to? Does he turn to his family and, and get their opinion on what he should do? Does he turn to his neighbor who might be in need and share with them the, the, the overabundance that the Lord has given him? Where's the prayer of thanks to God for what he has received? Where's the prayer to God for guidance and what he should do and for blessing? Those things are not part of this man's thinking at all. He's cut himself off. He's not looking for help, looking to give help, or looking for advice. He's pushed everyone away because where his focus is, it's on himself, his possessions. With his focus on himself and possession, there's no room for anyone else. Everybody else is lost. And then just drives home the hammer saying that that self-focus on his own possessions, and then that is lost. Isn't the point clear? If he's speaking this to a man who's come to him and said, tell my brother to divide my inheritance, isn't he telling the man, this is what you are becoming? Is be on your guard for covetousness. Is he not saying that this is what your sinful heart is leading you to do? That you are beginning because of your desire for the things of this world pushing everybody away. And isn't that what sin does? When we think about our own sinful hearts, when we act in simple ways, who are we focused on? Focus on ourselves. And what does sin do? But it pushes people away. When we sin, we, we push people away over and over again. If you go back to that list from Paul, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander. What do those do in a relationship? Do you like being around people who are angry all the time? What do you do when people slander you? Do you not push them away? When we sin, when our heart is sinful, we, we push people away. We cut people off. And when we focus on the things of this world, that's what sin is. We focus on ourselves. That's what sin is. And when we do that, we turn to ourselves and our things. We're turning away from the people that God has placed in our hearts. See, Jesus is leading this man to repentance. That's his desire. Isn't this the whole point of the parable? Beyond God, the covetousness that he says in this parable, isn't he trying to bring this man to realize that he is sinning and repent and, and turn back to him? And isn't that what the Lord is telling you to do too? Is that he drawing you to repentance, to recognize your sin, and rely upon him? We come now to the final verse, and it's rather stern warning that we get from our Lord. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That, that is harsh, is it? But there is hope. Is not the reverse possible? Can we not be rich toward God and lay up treasures for others? 
See, God is the source of life. He's calling people to life. He's calling the man to life and everybody who hears him to life. You see, the man came to the right person. It is this beauty. He came to the right person. He came to Christ, but he came for the wrong reason. He came and saw Jesus as an arbiter and judge to do his bidding. What he needed to do is to come to Jesus and see him as a Savior. Because that's what Jesus is. Jesus is a Savior. That's what he came to do and to accomplish. He came to do it by settling the greatest division that exists between man and God. And he did this by overcoming that which divides us from God, to take care of sin, by going to the cross to pay the price for sin and coming back to life and earning salvation so that we might be one with God once again. He removed the barriers so that we might be united in Him. That's why the Lord came. That's why the Lord comes to you today. The Lord comes to you today to bring you that forgiveness. See, all that the world has to offer is temporary. It cannot satisfy. It's only here for a moment. But Christ offers you something that is eternal. His love and His life. He places people in your life that, that are going to live with Him forever, and you with them. See, this man had two options facing himself. Focus on the inheritance that wasn't going to last. Or focus on his relationship with his brother, which could be eternal. Jesus has given this man an opportunity to readjust his priorities. And isn't that what the Lord gives to you and to me today? A chance to readjust our priorities. Forgive us for our selfishness and our greed. Forgive us for our misplaced time and energy and things of this world. And to then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, having been forgiven and loved, to love Him. And focus our time and energy on Him and those things that are and what's fascinating about that is when we do that, when we focus on that which is eternal, then we're able to enjoy that which is temporal. Right? And that's what Solomon was trying to get at in the Old Testament lessons. All is vanity. Everything is worthless apart from God. That's what he means when he says, there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment for his toils. This also, I say, is from the hand of God. True enjoyment of all things is found in him. Because we know when we have our focus on Him, we don't have to cling to the things of this world. We know when we have things from Him, we give Him thanks and praise for the blessings that we have received. We have everything in the right priority. We enjoy all things as we cling to Him. There is one final thing as we close that, that I want to bring out. Notice in the middle of this parable, the man quotes Psalm, right? He says, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But unfortunately, he stops there. He forgets the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse says, This also I saw is from the hand of God. There's a beautiful promise here. The Lord hears your request. Give us this day our daily bread. And, and he provides that which you need daily. But not only does he provide,